At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella here at the World Messenger inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today, I have in studio six times co-founder and former, actually, co-founder of Food Network. And you guys cannot absolutely wait to hear what he is up to today. He is also published author going of the book Going Back which I cannot wait to depict with you. And what's that all about? He's also a huge philanthropist, supporter of so many great causes around the world, and also very dear friend and colleague who I absolutely admire, actually great advisor and mentor also. And without further ado, let me introduce you to Stephen Cunningham. Stephen, how are you? All the better for being in your orbit. <laughs> Likewise, uh, you are a champion that continues to prepare and adjust uh, for decades and decades um, and continues always to think how to navigate current environments and still be able to succeed. Uh, first of all, I am just blown away um, on your journey and seeing how you overcame so many obstacles and also how much you position and also help others to position for success. So do you want to share a little bit, where do you grow up, a little bit about your upbringing and how that upbringing really helped you out where you are today? Hmm. Um, happy to. I hope you can get some insights from this. I was born and raised in New York City. Um, and uh, both of my parents were the children of immigrants. Uh, all four of my grandparents were born in Ireland and they all came over in the 1920s uh, to New York City and um, where my parents were born and where I was ultimately born and, and then spent uh, my childhood in the Bronx and, uh, and uh, ultimately had the benefits of a parochial school and then a private school education and uh, you know, I'm about as native New Yorker as you can possibly be. Yeah. And, you know, and the lessons of that experience are, are uh, you know, that you, you, you learn to um, operate in environments, in competitive environments or environments with a lot of people. And so you learn to engage with people and you learn to appreciate that different people approach different matters differently. Um, and, uh, and that uh, gives you a flexibility when you're thinking about business ideas and when you're thinking about uh, projects of any kind, because you know that uh, one of the things you, I think you learn early on if you're raised in a big city is that there are multiple ways to get things done. Uh, and, and, you know, that insight gives you a, uh, uh, a humility about the value of your solutions versus other people's solutions. If you've identified the results that you want to achieve, you, there are a lot of ways to get to there. I love that. That is such a gold and such important lesson for everybody watching and listening. And you mentioned something beautifully there. You also explored 
uh, private education. And obviously you have phenomenal degree in Columbia from Columbia University uh, and law that you finished there uh, and then went to law school. That really, I'm sure, was also very handy for this journey. So do you mind sharing, first of all, how did you decide to study law and what really propelled you? And, and also, could you contrast a little bit of that uh, private education, how was that pivotal to your success and also your thinking? In addition, living in hectic, amazing, uh, fast-paced New York City. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I, I say great because it's one I haven't uh, given much thought to, at least before this moment. Uh, I am, uh, uh, I, I, I think for most of my life, I've sort of gone along, you know, sort of with the, uh, with the ambitions of the people around me, uh, articulating what they wanted me to achieve. And it was all of a sudden when I uh, got to Colorado, now almost 40 years ago, that uh, uh, I realized, you know, we could, I could carve a different path uh, than the one that I'd been sort of teed up for. You know, I was a graduate of Columbia Law School. I had worked for the Congress. Uh, for several years. And then I met this um, beautiful woman who said she would marry me if I'd moved to Colorado. And I found myself very quickly after making that move, uh, just not that content at a law firm. I mean, uh, just a, I just felt it was an ancillary role. And I thought there was much more exciting to be part of the creative process and the innovation process and the process of bringing, bringing together the relevant elements to make things happen and uh, and got involved in projects like that really from the uh, mid 80s on you know I started working at a cable television industry uh, for a company called TCI which at the time was the biggest cable company in the world based right here in Denver Colorado thank you John Malone yes and um, and others uh, um, and um, I, I just was really uh, given as much uh, as much rope as I could handle uh, in that in that process, you know, to uh, hopefully not trip, but you know, to keep uh, pressing forward. And that was, uh, you know, ultimately that's uh, that, that, that's that's a great setting to be in, you know, where you're encouraged to move forward and you're uh, and you're given the leeway to sort of make decisions along the way. And as you make those decisions and have experience with it, you're like increasingly going, hmm, I can make good decisions, I can make bad decisions, but the road keeps moving on and it's uh, our duty to continue to take steps forward. So I'm not sure that's responsive, but I'm trying to be. <laughs> that is such a great uh, reflection and point because we are sometimes taking a risk, right? And you are definitely a risk taker. And I'll look at how things turned out and then also what that propel you. And we sometimes needed a time for self-discovery because we don't know how working for Congress, working in a law firm, as you mentioned, really going to impact us until we try. And quicker we discover more about ourselves. You're one of those that 
is willing to position differently, willing to look at things from a different perspective. And Colorado, I mean, you enrich Colorado in so many ways. And if you don't mind, I'm really curious. Uh, I've always been fascinated by the story. How do you come up with uh, funding your first company? And I believe that was the first uh, food network, right? Well, actually, before the Food Network, we started a couple of uh, TV shopping companies, one of which was the predecessor to QVC, mm -hmm. called Cable Value Network, and it was merged with QVC in the, in the uh, late 80s, uh, and, and actually, in that process, that was the first time I ever got a taste of equity, and, uh, you know, and so getting a six-figure payoff when the company was sold was a gigantic game changer for me and for my family. We all realized that there were ways without, you know, that are not necessarily associated directly with showing up every day to the job that could ultimately provide a real, a real boon uh, to the family uh, as you, uh, as you uh, persisted. And, and so my first experience with equity was enough to say, this is the way I want to proceed. And so, Five times since then, but the second, you know, five times since then, have 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 started enterprises designed to, you know, get things off the ground and see if uh, see how how far we could take them. Uh, and in connection with the Food Network, uh, it was actually while creating one of those earlier networks that the people who were underwriting the effort started researching who who could we get to uh, to, you know, turn this thing. At that point, we were calling it the Food Channel. And uh, I think we evolved from that. And we, uh, we started, we looked at the state of the cable industry and we thought it's a very competitive space and, but we've identified a great demographic here. And it was a wonderful intellectual exercise to sort of say, gee, this gigantic demographic would really respond to the kind of content we're talking about. And it was content pioneered by the likes of Julia Child on PBS, as you may remember. Uh, yes. Or by, you know, many of those uh, ultimately chefs like Emerald and Mar uh, Rachel Ray and um, Ina Garten. I mean, you know, all of these incredibly talented uh, creative personalities who took their skills in the in the in the kitchen and, you know, put them on screen. Uh, and so and um, but as with all uh, ventures, I think uh, you uh as you know, I've been involved in a variety of startups, but my conclusion is that there's never been a founder of an enterprise. I mean, you know, there may be people who claim the title, but the reality is that, you know, there are always multiple people involved and multiple ac actions and activities that have to, uh, you know, that, that are incredibly significant. And, uh, and I think as a result, I feel in myself like, um, Co-founders are an underappreciated, but in critically important element of any venture of this ilk. Uh, you know, so for example, with the Food Network, they brought me in for the project, and my first, the first person I reached out to was the uh, former president of CNN. It was someone I'd been doing business with, a fellow named Reese Schoenfeld, and. Uh, Reese had been the president of CNN before he was let go by Ted Turner. And then he uh, was, you know, and he ultimately became the first president of the Food Network. He brought a lot of credibility to that. And he was invaluable at developing a plan for 
getting it into the market. Um, you know, so he deserves credit as well, along with a, a long array of other people, uh, you know, especially a fellow named Joe Langan and a fellow named Trig Mirren, who I found both inspiring and supportive in their efforts to uh, help us get this project going. So. Mm, that is so rich. Um, when you look at and listen to this, it's like you never, never do things alone. And with such a creative, smart people, it's a shared effort. And it's unfortunately not as often as recognized. And I'm so glad you're highlighting that because uh, you continue, no matter what you put in yourself into, you continue to uh, shine and you continue to prove what you made of. Because right now you are officially the sixth time co-founder of very successful enterprises and you always know where where to insert your next to yourself next where it's possible what's possible what's needed and look at down the line in the future so do you mind sharing you into something really exciting right now and you obviously are changing the world you are not only do you already build an amazing legacy you're already let lived and obviously leaving behind but what's really important is to look at how you're also making huge contribution and difference in the world do you mind sharing that with our audience don't um, know about you i'll, I'll tell you what um when covid hit i had been in a partnership with um uh, with ibm collecting data from large large venues around the world and analyzing that data and it was an exciting exciting business because everyone and his mother has asked the question what are those people doing on their cell phones and we were trying to get answers to that question in large venues like convention centers and stadiums around the world but covid hit and that business evaporated essentially in a day because of course people were no longer going to large venues and that happened globally so after that happened uh, we were uh, asking ourselves, you know, what can make a difference in the world? How do we make a difference? I mean, how do we make a positive difference? Because as you know, the world was dealing with enormous uncertainty at that time. And so the first thing I did was I looked at uh, the state of sourcing and supplying for materials in the United States and realized that, you know, between the, the there were sharks out there, making representations and there were people who were not getting stuff done and i thought well if i proceed slowly and just you know maybe i can bring some help source and supply some ppe for america and if i do that worst case you know best case is i save some lives and maybe even better case maybe we even make some money uh but more importantly i mean i could save some people's lives with this process i mean i don't want to sound maudlin or or naive but it was just a uh, you know, I was just sitting around, as you know, you remember my wife was recovering from her tibial plateau fracture, which she'd had from skiing uh, right next to me uh, a couple of months before. And so we were just found ourselves saying, okay, how do we make a positive difference? And, uh, and so we started, uh, you know, sourcing and supplying those products. Lo and behold, found out that the whole medical arena is filled with an incredible variety of options but there's so much uh you know there's a great phrase that if you were from new york you would know it's called michigas uh, it's a it's a yiddish word and even though even for the catholics among us it's a word that every new yorker knows it means a mess and uh 
and the market was a mess. And so, um, you know, so we brought other products in. And as you know, I think you've probably been the beneficiary of some of the COVID test kits we brought in for a year and a half. And every time I kept thinking, great, I want to shut this business down. There are other things I'd like to do. And just as I'd get close to that, we realized there were other opportunities. And the one that we're focused on right now, which is I think the one you're referring to, was we spent about a year and a half manufacturing and then getting through the FDA process, uh, biodegradable nitrile gloves. And that process was so interesting because literally every person we asked about it, whether it was my dermatologist, my dentist, my general practitioner, the doctors I was discussing my knee surgery with, the doctor we were discussing uh, Wendell's tibial plateau fracture surgery with, um, you know, everyone in the whole arena kept saying, we love this idea. We know there's so much pollution that's caused by the, you know, biodegradable gloves we have right now. And what I loved about it was I was able to get that one product. I didn't have to manage a team, uh, which as you know, is very time consuming. And um, it has its own rewards, but it's not, uh, you know, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I, I felt I could make a better contribution more directly. And, um, and that's what we did. And so here we are with, uh, you know, with uh, these fantastic gloves that we're just starting to put into the market. I think I've talked to you about them a little bit. And, yeah. um, and uh, you know, it's going to be a way for us to make a positive contribution to the environment at a point in time where the environment has never been more vulnerable. So uh, we're looking forward to it and we're looking forward to marketing it out. And we're just starting to work on putting together marketing elements because it took us a long time to get the product to the U.S., but we now have it in the U.S. We have it in, you know, factories. Uh, we have it in warehouses in the U.S. And uh, we're even in discussions with various factories in the U.S. about manufacturing it here. We, we currently actually do our manufacturing in Malaysia. Uh, so it's not Chinese. That's good, uh, given the global uncertainty of relations between the U.S. and China. Um, and you know what can I say? It's a it's a it's a great project. And uh, was that that is the one you were referring to, right? Yes, and and the reason why I'm asking this because I love how you continuously, as a, a CEO, as a founder, as a thinker, look at things and find solution. Everybody is complaining how supply chain is disrupted. Everybody's complaining what's what's missing and what's not working. And you always somehow know intuitively, not only how to pivot, but how also to make it happen. So we're now, as you mentioned, never been more vulnerable from looking from ESG's perspective, from environmental perspective, social perspective, and of course, around the governance where obviously everything comes together. You playing in such a great area area where you are also disrupting how we view healthcare how do we consume and utilize products that we that are used daily to provide service to others so to me this is not just about the gloves this is more than the gloves it's a concept that is helping them to highlight esg um um ESG standards, but also be able to be more compliant and also start shifting in direction that we have to. And I'm hoping some companies will take that on sooner than later. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, as, as you know, it's, um, it's kind of like making a baby. You can't make a baby in less than nine months, right? Yes. You, know, you, know, you know, you can start the process, 
in in a couple of seconds <laughs> you know you if the timing is right you know and uh, you can get it going and then but 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 you know no matter whether you are um the most powerful or wealthiest man in the world or a person in the world i should say or or whether you're living um you know in soweto um you uh you know it's going to take nine months for that child to emerge and in the same way in my experience the deal process it's not as scientific but the deal process it takes time you know you got to talk to people as you know building trust with people is always takes time you know and uh and and you know in connection with any deal there is a trust element you know promises mm -hmm. made you know that lovely phrase that robert service famously has from the cremation of sam mcgee a promise made is a debt unpaid and the trail has its own stern code uh, i love that phrase and um and that's uh you know that's something we live by if you make a promise to someone you've got to come through on it and if you don't you know the trail will come you know rise up against you and that's uh and so that's a that, that that's an ambition as well that's a beautiful thing and following, walking the walk and stepping up and, and being truly a true leader, not because somebody is watching and how you might be perceived, but because of your own integrity, your own conduct, your own values. And that is so beautiful because always having conversations, not only to tap into your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and experience, but is also just knowing it's like, I just know who you are in the core and what I can expect. And right now we're dealing in a world where it is so many things that we cannot anymore predict or expect and people change people switch uh people sway in different direction and that's fortunately what's lost and it's sad we have to say from a leadership standpoint we need to build more of those uh, trusted relationships with shared value uh, with the shared goals and objectives and i again i'm full 100 behind you because of what you're doing and how you're moving the needle in the right direction that not all of us are ready maybe yet to consume or observe or explore, but is coming. Are you ready or not, right? I agree. I, I agree. I think it is coming. Although, Isabella, when I hear you even say those words, I'm reminded of your own story. And, um, and, and I, I hope that you, in this podcast, you know, also share with people the stories you've shared with me about uh, the young girl you know, moving from Croatia to Sweden and, uh, and on from there, because that's a, you know, that that's a very inspiring story. And in, and in the decade and more that we've uh, known each other, uh, probably close, maybe we may be getting closer to two decades, huh? Uh, yeah. um, I personally have always admired your creativity and your, you know, um, passionate optimism for taking the next steps and for trying and would would you know i hope that you if not in this podcast uh, somewhere uh, get to share some of your lessons about distinguishing between you know the best people you've worked with and people who have been more challenging to cross paths with because i find myself after all the years and experience that i have i find uh, that if i am right 50% of the time, 
with the people that I'm crossing paths with, I can do okay. I can survive that. You know, the business can flourish. And that's just being right 50% of the time. And, you know, and when I say right versus wrong, I don't mean, you know, I don't mean that necessarily they're unscrupulous or anything. I just mean they may not be right for this team, you know, and for this team, you know, you're going to need someone who can rebound and you're going to see someone who can take a three point shot and someone who can bring the ball up and someone who can box out and someone who can make the pass, you know, so all of those ingredients are all critical in any business setting. Uh, and, and they are, um, uh, but they're not, they're not, they're not easy to put together. And, uh, and I, I, what I love is that you've, you've done this so many times with your own projects. I just relish the times you've shared with me, the lessons you've learned in that, in that, uh, in that process. Thank you so much. And, and that's the beauty when we have a relationship, as you mentioned, based on honesty, trust, transparency, and when we don't, when we don't get right, or when we learn something that gets disclosed later on, and how do we, again, pick the ball or get the enthusiasm going and continue uh, because it sometimes feels defeated, right? Is Do we just lost the game or we lost the season? Did we lose the championship? And who do we lose? And did we lose ourselves in the process? Which I'm sure a lot of people can resonate as they're watching and listening. This mm -hmm. amazing conversation with you, Stephen. But you also push things further. You, you, I, I just love how you also found a great opportunity to do something new, very niched, and it's called going back. And has a, so many beautiful metaphors, right? It has a, so much depth in different meaning. And you publish book, which you now also publish author among all these amazing accomplishments in your career, um, which first of all, kudos. Uh, and then also bring so much to everybody because time is flying, things are changing. And it's always good to go back to some of those moments and those people that you're still in touch with and that you still trust and do business with and cherish times together. So do you mind sharing a little bit for everybody on, that is listening and watching, what is the book about? Okay, thank you so much for asking. Um, I had the privilege of uh, being the, uh, the chair of our 50th reunion from, from uh, high school. And in that process, I started crossing paths with a lot of people who I'd gone to school with, who I hadn't really uh, spent much time with in the, in, you know, in the preceding 50 years since high school. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was a great lesson there was that, uh, first of all, it was incredibly rewarding. I mean, people were, you know, really gracious and, and curious and, and, and active and had been doing wonderful things with their lives. And it was great to hear their stories about what they were going through. But what really struck me was that uh, reunions generally uh, just deal with a few, you know, specific issues, which are, you know, how, how do you get people, how do you get information about people? Uh, because the schools don't necessarily have it. And then two, once you get that information, how do you get people to attend uh, the reunion? And then three, how do you make it a great reunion? You know, so those three questions are, 
were top of mind. And through the process, I found myself thinking, gee, why can't I just go to Amazon and pick up a book on this? And all of my efforts to find uh, insights about how to have a great reunion, how to get people to attend, how to get, how to track people down uh, were um, unsuccessful. And so I sort of stumbled onto the process and it became a really, really um, interesting process. And we ultimately had great success doing it. And so we had a great reunion and I thought, wow, this is really rewarding. And I guess on top of everything else, I thought in my lifetime, I'm not sure America has ever been more divided uh, in terms of politics and in terms of uh, people's values, uh, you know, sort of the pressure between autocracy and democracy and uh, sort of uh, women's rights and people's rights and, you know, and, and sort of the antagonism just between groups. And I thought one of the great things about reunions is that it, it's a chance for people of different stripes to talk about things they have in common rather than things they don't. And that's what we found at our reunion, that that was the case. And so I thought, wow, if we can create more opportunities like that, the world will be better off for it. And, uh, and I guess, uh, uh, you know, we made a reference to private schools because mine going back is all about planning an unforgettable reunion for private schools. And that was because one of the profound realizations was that the way private schools handle reunions and public schools is the difference between night and day. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, purely because the private schools have people on staff whose job it is to manage this process and public schools do not. And so that's a gigantic difference. And, uh, you know, and then, and then the positive experience of crossing paths with these people was just wonderful. Uh, you know, and so many people I know, by the time you reach your 30th, 40th, 50th high school reunion, you know, people are, it's less about sort of keeping up with the Joneses and more about sort of catching up with people who you uh, appreciated, maybe people who you um, enjoyed spending time with back in the day. And uh, the great thing about high school, of course, is that it's a chance to engage with people who knew you before you were who you turned out to be. <laughs> very, yes. You know, very complicated, but I didn't know who I was going to be at 17. You know, my goal was to you know, basically either become a professional athlete or to become a professional musician or, you know, or to be a professional skier, whatever the case may be. <laughs> you know, that was as far as I'd taken my ambitions and, and, and goals. And then you go to college and then you get the chance to go to graduate school and, you know, take advantage of that. And it became a fascinating, all of these other subjects uh, kick in. And so even you, my young Isabella, know that, uh, you know, through the years, you think of how your perspective has changed in terms of your values. And I just found myself thinking the world really needs this, you know, needs to know more about how to bring people together. And uh, I had the good fortune of being part of something that was very successful at bringing people together and thought, I'm going to share that knowledge with people. And so that's what I've done. And that's what the net result is going back. And volume one, of course, is about private schools, but the next one will be about people who go to public schools. And the third one will be about the fundraising process and maybe even about colleges. So I feel like I've got a, a lot, a whole path ahead of me of how to tell some good stories here. And uh, hopefully it'll, uh, hopefully the, it'll generate some smiles and goodwill. 
Oh my goodness. I just love this story. I love everything obviously you accomplished, but it's so beautiful again, being consistent who you are and through decades and decades of shaping uh, and changing and growing and enduring and transforming, but yet in a core essence of who you are, never deviated. And I loved what a great gift for everybody else because I can't agree more with you. The vision, uh, different points of view, we forget to just be, uh, you know, Stephen, Isabella, and forget to have this conversation and forget to put uh, all of the things aside and find how we can actually reconnect again, right? And how we can really tap into the beautiful friendship and some fun experiences. And as you said, share those great stories. That's what's life all about. For So everybody watching and listening, you guys have a great opportunity. Also, I will provide the links to check Stephen's book that is going back, available on Amazon, but has so much much depth meaning than just building and creating um, reunions that I'm sure everybody are thrilled to have. And frankly, Stephen, as we got older, uh, it's also kind of, I know so many people say, oh, I don't want to go. I, don't, I feel like I didn't succeed or I fail. How can I ever compete with someone who co-founded Food Network, who is so successful, who finished the law school, who has so much going on for them? And I hear always people kind of compare uh, and or don't feel good about themselves, how they look or how they age or where they are at. That is also fortunate that flip side, right? But then I heard when they finally decide to go, as you said, none of those things matter, but matters to go back in that fearless, uh, careless, fun, positive, unvincible uh, spirit. So what are your thoughts? That's it. I, I... You know that that was the, that was probably the most inspiring aspect of this process, and that would probably triggered my thinking about uh, writing the book because we do all bring so many people bring so much anxiety to it. Uh, one story that I share in the book is that one of my classmates felt that he was um, bullied at school, and as mm -hmm. a result, he he was thinking that he would never come back to the school. He would just was done. Well, lo and behold, we persuaded him to come back and he received a lifetime achievement award for work that he's done as a doctor, you know, working on kidney, uh, kidney dialysis uh, processes that have been, you know, uh, world, world record setting. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they've just changed the world. And uh, he's a professor at Johns Hopkins and he's just an enormously talented guy. And what a great way to bring it around, right? That this guy who felt that he was bullied in school was sitting there at our, uh, you know, on, on, on Saturday morning being celebrated. And uh, his, he and his wife were both so honored and delighted. And it was just such a wonderful ending to, you know, you know how um, uh, Bob Dylan famously talks about in the times they are a changing about he who yes. is left will, will soon be first. And, uh, you know, he on the bottom will soon be on the top and, you know, come, you know, senators and congressmen don't, don't block the halls and mothers and fathers let your children uh, move on. And, and I think that was the, one of the realizations in this process was uh, that as people get older and have more and more of life experiences, 
they not only become more humble, but they become more curious, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and you want to learn about what was your story? How did you get here, Isabella? You know, how are you at, you know, doing what you do and uh, where do you get the energy to do it? And, 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 uh, you know, where are the relationships that, that drive you? And I, I know in your case, uh, you know, whether it's your niece or your, uh, you know, family members, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you've got those relationships to drive you and what, what was so rewarding about this experience was that so many people who approached this with such trepidation ultimately came and felt it was an incredibly rewarding positive experience. And they, the reason they did that is because, you know, I, I think we, we worked really hard to not make it a comparative, competitive environment, but more of a sort of a stimulating environment to you know, where your curiosity could flourish and, 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 you, and the warmth and feeling of the, both the school and of your classmates was able to come out. And it did. It did in a really big way. And so I'm looking forward to doing that with many, many other reunions um, in the years ahead. Uh, you, you, you've not been back to your reunions, have you? No, I have not because there have been always in, during the times in summer or with the different projects or different goals, objectives for me or, or things that I, I, I have been doing uh, that prevented me to be at the right time at the right place. Uh, but it's also really interesting what you're pointing out in contrasting what, uh, what's going on right now in our country and in schools and how much we have other issues at hand uh, where people as you mentioned, bullying and unfortunately a lot of shootings and mass shooting and negative um, experiences going out trigger, fortunately, newer generation for years to come. And we have to restore that in our educational system. But also, as you said, as opportunity to celebrate one another, not to bully, uh, not to fear, but actually to see this as a great avenue to learn, even though we're different from each other, because differences are great in many ways, of differences of ways of thinking, because they stem creativity. As a result, we solve so many problems, otherwise we will not be able to do so. Mm-hmm. And what would be your piece of advice for current generations and parents or everybody watching and listening to this podcast, what would be your advice? How do we move forward and how do we overcome challenges and difficulties that we're facing? You always mm-hmm. put in a lot of efforts yourself and I am absolutely uh, thrilled and I kudos you for all of your efforts, but what others you think could also do? Well, uh... I uh, think that searching for common interests uh, and, 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 and just being curious about how people got to where they are. I mean, if you can encourage that in an environment, in any setting where people to ask them, ask each other questions about what is, um, what, what, what to explain their behavior, to, to explain their propensities, to explain uh, sort of how they got to where they are and, what they're thinking about going forward. The, the more understanding you can develop in that process, the easier it is to incorporate it into your own thoughts going forward in, in dealing with that person. You know, I have friends whose politics are different from mine and it's um, some kind, and sometimes we're uh, self-conscious about that. And really, you know, it, it sort of turns us off. But when I focus on the things that we have in common, 
it lends itself to much better conversations. And, you know, I, you know, you made a reference to school shootings. So I'm a big believer in more, more regulation over guns, uh, because I think that that would have an impact on the availability mm -hmm. of, of weapons in, the, in our academic settings. And obviously the, the more management we have over those, uh, over those, uh, you know, guns and the like, the, the better the chances of reducing uh, the risks. And, um, uh, but when I think about that, I also think I've learned more about people who have, you know, dealt with these things for a long time. And, and I don't want to sort of stop them from being able to protect themselves, but, you know, and, and so it's given me a more, a greater understanding of why people want, want to have this perspective. And, you know, and it just comes down to curiosity, to hearing their stories, right? If they were bullied or if they were picked on or if they saw people in their family who you know did inappropriate things with guns and dealt with that you know then you got to pay attention you got to listen more and the, and the better you become at listening you know the the better the outcomes will be for you and for the community that you're part of that is amazing. Thank you so much. And again, you're addressing very complex issues and you continue to do that and you're not slowing down a bit. And in closing, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, you lived your legacy. That's That's been evident in everything so far you accomplished and how you raised your beautiful uh, three sons and, 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 and now being a grandfather and future generation, just the stems from your family, but also how did you, um, led with this, how, what leadership you exuded it through the process, uh, not only personal life, but also professionally, and then also leaving the legacy already that is going to impact so many generations to come. What else is in the bucket list? What are you deeply desiring to feel like you accomplish your mission, your purpose, and you achieve that, what that would be? You know, I think that'll continue uh, until my last days on the earth, hopefully. You know, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, when we came up with the biodegradable nitrile gloves, it was because we'd seen that there were, the market's needs were being met in connection with other kinds of products, in connection with masks, in connection with COVID test kits, in connection with gowns um, and people's health issues. But we thought this was a product that the world had not yet seen that would really relish. And in the same way, you know, so I, I hope to continue finding products like that that can make the world a better place and that can at the same time, uh, you know, ultimately provide for the people who are trying to make a difference and um, including you. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then I, I, I think the same thing I made a reference earlier to, I've identified at least uh, two or three more books out of the one that I just started with the uh, high school reunions. and. Uh, so I'm looking forward to having, you know, having more books uh, out there and, and and sharing that information. And you're part of my, you're one of my inspirations for that because when you wrote that book uh, about your journey, I thought, you know, the leadership principles, and uh, I thought, you know, uh, uh, I hope that I ultimately come up with a, something as interesting as a story as the one Isabella shared with us. And while I don't know that this is as interesting, I'm hoping that it's a practical benefit for people dealing with 
a challenge that you know has been um, that has you know that continues to be as uh, taxing and, and challenging as uh, as um, as it was for our parents. Um, you know, reunions are are a big issue, and uh, uh, and um, so fingers crossed, and we'll see where it goes. Oh, that is exciting. I'm looking forward to many more books from you. And I also hope that you're going to write about your entrepreneurship mindset and, and muscle and spirit, because you have been uh, consistently also building that and persevering and times and some times during the, some challenges and difficulties, but everything changing around us and always came on the top. And with that, I really wanted just to say in closing for everybody watching and listening, which a lot of people are entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, and then they're also having their own businesses or supporting other businesses to grow. What would you say, just because you such a, have a great pulse on what's currently going on, uh, what would you say it's one thing if they could just do that they're going to um, overcome all of these hurdles they're facing? Hmm. Wow. I mean, you know, given your entrepreneurial journey as well, is there just one thing? I mean, I guess, uh, I guess the most important thing is to, uh, you know, continue to keep your ears close to the ground, you know, listen to what the market is telling you. And if you're getting the right message from the market, don't give up, keep going. You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, so those are the two things that matter the most to me is sort of making sure I'm grounded in terms of ideas that make sense. And second, you know, persisting when, um, when the ideas, you know, when I run into uh, roadblocks or have to have to make pivots, you know, that's okay. As long as you keep the goal in mind, if the goal is to make a positive contribution to your society or your community, well, okay. Can I do that? Uh, through this and um, you know until you until I can't uh, mm. let's go man uh, so that's, <laughs> and so that's my that's my word to any any entrepreneurs and, and I would also I guess my final comment would be to be humble because and I started um, with this is that you know there's no such thing as a founder we're all co-founders uh, and I think in the same way you know Bringing humility to uh, the process is, uh, is uh, I think, essential. You know, it, ironically, it's humility combined with arrogance because you have to have an arrogance to think that you can make a difference. Uh, mm. But, but yet, you know, you have to be humble enough to listen to what the market's telling you and what the community's telling you and what the client, you know, prospective clients and customers are telling you and what the manufacturers are telling you in connection with the product and thank you for listening to legacy leader show if you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience then please leave us a positive rating in addition leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer cheers